If you're newer to our fellowship, we are ending a study in 2 Corinthians. It literally has taken us 16 weeks to be able to walk through this letter and to be able to hear Paul's heart and his message for each one of us. Paul birthed this church. He loved this church. This church was family to him. But like any other family, it had some flaws. It had some weak spots. It had some areas that, well, bristled against Paul. Paul spent 18 months at this church. He birthed it, and he shared his life and his heart. After his 18-month stay, he still had a passion to plant more churches and to encourage other believers. So he left. And in about five years, five years after he left, while he was away, the church at Corinth started to embrace the culture rather than the word. There were some folks who were growing, but there were others who were comfortable. Folks that, well, they were just going through the motions. And yet there were others, as you've read in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, who were disobedient and living in sin. Paul loved God the God of love, and the God of peace. He basically just wanted everybody, wherever he went, to know as Jesus. When Paul was, well, confronted on the road to Damascus, and Jesus called out to him, and he responded to his salvation, everything changed for Paul. It was so dynamic. And that began a journey from, for him, in spite of being well-educated and well-suited well for the ministry that he was in. He started to think differently. And God began to change him. And his passion turned from, well, pursuing Christians to helping people become Christians, one of the most radical stories ever, ever told. Because that's what the gospel is. If you're newer again, you, you heard us worshiping our God, talking about the power of the cross and what the gospel literally is. It is offered to everyone so that each one of us might have our sins paid for that we might be able to be restored back to a relationship with God. And that we can start living abundantly and then look forward to an amazing eternity. <laughs> Paul was excited. That just kind of spilled from his conversation wherever he went. Paul also knew the church, the church at Corinth, loved God. They did. They struggled, but he knew they loved God with all of their hearts sometimes. And so he ends this letter, 
Just four verses. And he says this, if you want the God of love and peace to be with you, sort of, I know you really do. If you want to have a rich relationship with God, if you want to live abundantly, to have purpose when you get up in the mornings, I'm going to give you some boxes to check. He's talking to believers here. He's talking to those who have been redeemed. You're not trying to check some boxes in order for you to gain access to heaven or get salvation. But Paul's lived with these folks. He has talked with them about all of these, well, last few lines. He's written about them numerous times. So let's pray before we open up the last four verses in 2 Corinthians. Heavenly Father, I will exalt you, my God and my King, and praise you forever. I will praise you every day because you are great and you are worthy of praise. No one can measure your greatness, God. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts and proclaim your mighty power for your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You are a God of compassion and mercy slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Your ways, O God, are perfect and your actions are just. You always keep your promises and you're gracious and you are close to those who cry out to you. You help the fallen and you lift those bent beneath their loads. This morning, oh God, we cry out to you. Our world needs a savior. Our country needs to be rescued. And you, and you alone, are our hope. We pray for our community, in our country, in our world. We encourage, Father, those who are discouraged. Not because we have some plan, but because you have a plan. We pray, Father, you would encourage your flock and draw people to yourself. We pray for the church, the church that's meeting all over our land and even over the internet right now. We pray specifically for churches in our neighborhood, Chain of Lakes, New hope in life spring. We pray for our flock, for those God who call Crosspoint home. We are so grateful, God, that we can gather. We are grateful that we can praise you. We are grateful that we can learn from you. And we pray, even now, that you would do that in our lives. Do a mighty work, God. We love you and pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. If you would turn your Bibles or your flat screens to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, 
We're going to start at verse 11. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can follow along on the screen behind me. This is Paul. He is finishing, finishing his letter to his friends in Corinth. He starts off in verse 11. Dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. Be joyful. Grow to maturity. Encourage each other. Live in harmony and peace. Then, then the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet each other with a sacred kiss. All of God's people here send you their greetings. May the God, or, or may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, in some ways, I'm going to ask you to put your student caps on for just a little bit. Paul starts off, or, or Paul ends up his letter by giving five imperatives. Most translations don't share the force of what Paul is saying right here. But let me remind you, at least in the Greek language, the language that we're reading the scriptures from originally, an imperative is not a suggestion. An imperative is an exhortation. It's a command. It's something that Paul, well, he doesn't give a lot of explanation. It's kind of like the last few moments before he takes off. And he shares five important things. In fact, he says this. He says, I want you to listen to this because I know you want God to be with you. But if you want God to be with you, these are five areas you need to focus on. You know, sometimes the Bible is pretty complicated, and you got to dig in and try to figure out all the different things that, well, the Scriptures are telling you. But today, Paul is just making it so simple for the church at Corinth, but also for us. Now, I am going to switch the order only because most of the teachers believe that there's a natural flow for Paul which begins with the imperative, grow to maturity. So we're going to hit them all, but I'm going to start there. And what Paul is saying, again, you church, he's not talking to individuals here, but you folks who call Corinth your home, I want you to grow in maturity. Now again, um, every commentator that I have read on this basically points us to the fact that, that this is the critical imperative. So that's why we're going to start here. It's a tougher word to translate. If you look at many of the English translations here, the one in front of you says grow into maturity. But there's other ones that say strive for full restoration, aim for restoration, set things right, strive for perfection. 
Now, let me just share with you, the word here has a sense of putting things back in order, of adjusting things that are out of alignment. When the Greeks used this term, they usually used it um, talking about mending their nets. In other words, a fisherman saw a hole in their net, and they would restore it. They would fix it. They would sew it up. If we were going to use it today, we probably would use it um, for the front wheels of our car. Our cars can keep moving without our wheels aligned. But if you notice, the faster you go, the steering wheel starts doing that. I, I know maybe none of you have had cars like that. But all of a sudden you hit 55 and it's like jumping all over the road here. Now you can go for a long trip, you know. And after about 15 minutes, you're ready to pull off it. I'm done. Or you could pull over, pull your tools out, and do it. No, you can't. But what you can do is take it in for an alignment. You want this baby to flow. You want to go down the road, right? You don't want to be jumping all over. This is the word here. But Paul also is not talking about restoring personal relationships here. In fact, we're going to chat about that in a little bit, but not here. What he's talking about is the church's response to the Word of God. That's why most teachers think that this is the critical one, the critical exhortation. What Paul is saying is the spiritually mature adjust their thinking and their actions according to the Word of God. When our thoughts or actions don't line up with the Scriptures, we need to adjust them. We need to realign them. When there's a hole in our nets, we need to stop and mend them. So Paul is just saying this, what I want you to do is keep growing in your progress here. Learn God's word and make adjustments. Because, as you know, God's word is powerful. God's word is alive. God's word corrects. God's word convicts. It teaches. It equips us. I can tell you, I can't live without God's Word. I get confused on directions and how to treat people. I need to realign my thoughts and my actions over and over and over again because the enemy is relentless in its pressure toward me. We must continually evaluate or reevaluate our priorities to be able to get our behavior in line with Scripture so we can be restored to spiritual wholeness. Theological errors need to be corrected. Biblical knowledge needs to be increased. Sin needs to be confessed. Relationships need to be restored. Laziness, indifference, and apathy need to be turned into energetic, devoted service. There's a natural progression in receiving God's word and responding to God's word. Sometimes I get deceived, and maybe you do too. 
Maybe we're too busy for this today. Maybe I already know enough. After all, I have a Timothy Award. You know, what else do you need? The truth is, every day we need the Word of God. Every day we need to be able to feed on the Word of God. In fact, a lack of change in a church and in individuals should be a red flag because God's Word changes us all the time. It teaches us and guides us. The next checkbox, basically, Paul would say, is, hey, you church, you Corinthians, be joyful. Rejoice. Oh. Again, it's really easy for us when life is good to do that. But I just want to remind you again, life certainly was hard for the Corinth church. There was politics. Rome was relentless. And there was persecution from mostly the Jews. It wasn't an easy place to live out your faith. But Paul says, be joyful. Paul reminds them that joy doesn't wane because of illness or because of economic difficulties or broken relationships or countless other disappointments. Instead, it flows from the deep, unshakable confidence that God is internally in control of every aspect of life for the good of his beloved children. Oh, it changes your perspective in life if you believe that. The joy naturally flows as people walk with God. It is a fruit of the Spirit. As you and I spend time with God, He chips away the things that don't reflect Him well, and we naturally bear fruit. And one of the pieces of fruit of someone who walks with God is joy. Joy is a byproduct of focusing on God in his truth. In fact, one of the things is I got to this part, even in, in my studies, I started to get excited. Because what, what happened was this, is that over the past 15 weeks, as we have studied 2 Corinthians, there have been so many for me, life-transforming truths. Let me just go over a few of them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, God comforts us so that we can comfort others. Well, what a blessing. We know even when we go through hard times that God is going to walk with us, but there's even a purpose for it. God is way beyond just making sure we're okay. He gives us the privilege of not only, well, enjoying his presence, but helping others do the same. Another little further down in chapter 1, he shares with us that the Holy Spirit lives in us and gives us the ability to stand firm no matter what the storm. That's what God does for every believer. That's crazy. 
Chapter 2, Paul says this, we're like God's fragrance. Those that walk with God, we walk into a room and people smell Jesus. And your kindness and your grace and how you respect others and how you talk to others. In chapter 3, Paul reminds us that God is making us just like Jesus. How cool is that? That he loves us so much that he's just going to keep chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. In chapter 4, God says this. God uses clay jars so that others would be able to see the light of God. That we're ordinary, that those that know Jesus are ordinary people. But when you walk into a room, people are focusing on Jesus. In chapter 5, we're called his ambassadors. God thinks so highly of you and me that he says, I'm not there at least in the flesh and blood. So I'm going to send you out in the world and people are going to know who I am by you. What a privilege. In chapter 6, God says this, is that my power is so evident when you go through tough times so that we rejoice in tough times because then God actually gets glory. It's just kind of like, that's crazy. In chapters 8 and 9, Paul talks about blessed to be a blessing. Is that we are given in order to give. We have an opportunity to not only make a kingdom impact right now with our generosity of time and treasure, but we have an opportunity to invest in eternity. I'm not sure how it all works, but that is a great deal. In chapter 10, he talks about how God has given us his weapons to fight our battles. God's promises, his word, and prayer, and praise defeats the enemy. And then the one that has just kind of rocked my world is that God is jealous for us. He just loves us so much. He wants absolutely the best for us. He wants us to experience life. He desires it more than anything. And when we sin or when we rebel or when we take our own path, yeah, it hurts us, but it breaks his heart. So why? Why why are you running from me? Why don't you let me guide you? Why don't you let me supply your need? Why Why don't you let me encourage you? Why are you doing life by yourself? And then chapter 12, Paul writes this, is that God's grace is sufficient and his power shouts in our weaknesses. How amazing is that? It's interesting. In Philippians chapter 4 and in Hebrews chapter 10, The scriptures talk about joy in both of these chapters. In Philippians 4, starting at verse 4, Paul writes this while he's in prison, always be full of joy in the Lord. And I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. 
And then in Hebrews 10, verse 34, the author writes this, You suffered, talking to believers, along with those who were thrown in jail. And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy? (laughs) You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. Over and over and over again, the scriptures tell us how temporary life is here. And that we have an opportunity to obey and listen to God and serve him with full hearts and be generous with our time and our talents. And all that to basically say, hey, life is hard here. You may even have less than all the other folks. But you're looking forward to eternity. I I like to say you're looking forward to the next 60 trillion years. Not the next six years. 60 trillion. And then when that ends, we get another 60 trillion. How's that? I, I mean, it just blows our mind away. And joy in a church shouts. We're not saying you can't mourn, you can't cry. But there is something about being confident in God. And Paul reminded this church. Another checkbox, he says this, you church, encourage. Or some of your translations might say, comfort one another. This word also is a little bit difficult to translate. It's a challenge. The word back in the first century is used to encourage soldiers in battle. But actually in two ways. Like sometimes soldiers would become slackers. And it's kind of like a kick in the drawers. Others would be, hey, thanks so much for serving. I'm so grateful. Let's keep going. The war's not over. The battle's not over. Keep, keep moving. That's kind of how the word was used. It's also used to comfort in times of grief or great pain. So there's great empathy. And I think in 2 Corinthians here, the Greek word here embraces both of these uses. Consoling the sufferer and admonishing or or admonition to the slacker or the weary. Wow. Now, if you think about it, it's quite powerful. It really is. Doing life together means that you admonish, you comfort and encourage others on the journey. You say, well, how how do you know when to do that? You know, every parent asks that question, how do I help my kids move forward in life? I don't want to nag them. I don't want to give them a boot in the drawers all the time. I want to encourage them. But I think it's the same way in life. And that's why it's so wonderful that the Holy Spirit is part of our journey. Is that the Holy Spirit walks with those who walk with God and teaching us when to encourage and when to admonish. Now this requires two things. And it's rather rudimentary, but but it requires two things. And the first thing is you got to walk with the Spirit. You've got to listen to the Spirit. You've got to hear His promptings and His voice. And secondly, you need to be in community. 
You need to do life with others. It's important. The next checkbox. He says, you, Corinthian church, you believers there in Corinth, live in harmony. Harmony. Now let's go a little bit deeper here, but, but it's, it's basically saying this. Have the same convictions and beliefs. It's talking about theologically and doctrinally. What Paul is just reminding them is, and this church was a little bit, shall we say, schismed. They, they didn't understand all the issues doctrinally. And Paul kept hammering them. But what his heart was this, be of one mind theologically, unified in doctrine. Paul knew that God's truth helps us live well in a messy world. And Paul talks about doctrine in other letters, especially to Titus and to Timothy. But in Titus 1.9, he's talking about elders right there to Timothy and the qualifications. But he says this, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as has been taught so that he might be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Sound doctrine is critical because it gives you life and perspective. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul's last letter to one of his pastor friends, he just said this, be a worker who knows and correctly explains the, the word of God. Now, the last checkbox. He says this, you church, you folks in Corinth live in peace. Live in peace. Unity is critical for the church. We have addressed a few of these admonitions all the way through 2 Corinthians. But unity was also a big focus in 1 Corinthians. He almost starts off that way, and if you want to turn your Bibles back with me to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'll start right at verse 10. And he says this, I appeal to you, this is Paul writing to the same church just a little bit earlier, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with one another. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. For some of the members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels. My dear brothers and sisters, some of you are saying, I'm a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, or I follow Christ. Has Christ been divided into factions? In the very, very beginning, Paul knew that there was division. And he's saying, what you guys are doing, you're dividing over who are the best leaders, who are the best preachers, who are the best people that you want to sit underneath. He goes, don't you understand? That will bring disunity. He goes on a little bit further in chapter 3. And he talks again. He goes, you know, all these guys that are dividing you or that you're following, they all have certain gifts. They all have certain abilities. God's going to use them all in the church. It's not about one leader. But then Paul says something that should almost shock every one of us. 
in chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let me read verses 16 and 17. Don't you realize that all of you, not just individually, all of you together are the temple of God. And that the Spirit of God lives in you as a congregation. God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. For God's temple is holy. And you are that temple. You see, peace and unity flow logically from a common understanding of God's Word and submission to God's Word. In Romans 14, verse 19, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Romans 15, at the very end, same letter, may God who gives this this patience and encouragement Help you live in complete harmony with each other as fitting for the followers of Jesus. Ephesians 4.3 Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together in peace. And in Hebrews chapter 12 Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life for those who are not holy. If you don't walk with God, you won't see God. You see, peace in families just don't happen. And in the Corinthian church, they understood that it didn't happen there either. But we must understand that that godly leadership will address disunity. In Philippians chapter 4, I find a little bit ironic Um, But in in Philippians 4, again, Paul's writing from prison to the church in Philippi. And he says this at the very end of his letter. Now, I appeal to Eodia and Syntyche, to women. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they have worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. It was critical. There were some disagreements. There were some issues. And Paul literally just, just begs from prison and said, hey, can you take care of it? Is that possible? Settle those disagreements. You guys have been in the trenches together. You can do this. Titus gets a word from Paul. It's even a little firmer and, and, and even a little more dogmatic. In Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 10 and 11, he writes, If people are causing divisions among you, give a first and a second warning. After that, have nothing to do with them. For people like that have turned away from the truth and their own sins have condemned them. Wow. Warn and separate from those who are being divisive. 
Remember just last week, we focused a little bit on some specific sins in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Sins of slander and gossip and divisive behavior. You know, as I was looking back in the ministry, I saw a lot of this kind of stuff in high school ministry. Where there were so many divisions. And you know, some of us will look at it as just a lack of maturity in high school students, which is absolutely right. But you'd sit down with them, you'd have conversations with them, and I'm telling you, they talked about their parents and how much they were jerks. <laughs> whoa, whoa, maybe we can refocus this conversation, you know. And then they'd go right to their high school coaches. And do you believe that my coach did this, 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 and they're treating, and you're like, hold it. I'm, I'm sensing something's not right here. And they would begin to focus even on other kids in the group. And you saw how divisive this would just happen and go crazy. Paul knew this. And it was happening in the church of Corinth. I do believe he felt that there was improvement. But in his last words... He just wanted to say, hey, five things. Five things. It's really important. If you want God to be with you, if you want God to walk with you as a church, you need to focus on these five things. There's so much at stake. I want you to grow in maturity. If you want God to be with you, I I want you. When God's word is given and there's something not right in your thoughts and attitudes, please restore it. Listen to God. I want you to be joyful. I know there's going to be hard times, but I want you to recognize who God is and the many truths that he's given you. I, I I want to in encourage you to do life with others well. I want you to be in line together doctrinally. And I want you to live in peace. You know, our whole study, if you've been with us for the whole time, um, it's pretty clear that Paul said, when he is weak, when he is dependent upon God, when he's at the end of his resources, okay, then we are strong. Just last week, part of my reading was in Hebrews. And in Hebrews chapter 11, I'd like to just read, starting at verse 32. It just felt to me like this would be the perfect close to this letter. In Hebrews chapter 11, so many of you know that this is the chapter of all the heroes of faith. And and the author just goes through from the beginning of time almost to the end and just all the different men and women of God that followed God and God honored because they were people of faith. And so we jump in in verse 32, and, and, and this is what verse 32 says. How much more do I need to say? 
It would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and all the prophets by faith. Listen to this. These people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escape death by the edge of the sword. And I'm sure there's stories that that come to mind in the scriptures. But the next line is what got me. Their weakness was turned to strength. Their weakness was turned to strength. He continues, they became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed by the sword. Some went around wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world and wandering all over the deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised at that moment. Wow. These ordinary people, these clay pots, recognized they needed God every single day. They listened to God. They trusted God. And some of them conquered great armies, were able to walk through furnaces of fire, And others, with the same dynamic faith, were sawed in half. Oh, what a privilege we have. Not to be sawed in half, although it is. But just think of it. God says this, I have a plan. I am going to work in you. I'm going to work through you. I know you don't always have your act together, but walk with me. Rick, walk with me. And I'm going to show up big. That's his promise. And then he gives a benediction. A benediction. Let me read. It'll be up on the screen. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, starting at verse 12. Greet each other with a sacred kiss. All of God's people here send you their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is the only place in all the scriptures that in a benediction all three of the Trinity are mentioned. Paul was excited. Paul was jacked. He he just, he, 
he was ending a letter to a group of people he loved so very, very much. He says, hey, when you see each other, greet each other with a sacred kiss. Now again, I don't know what nationality you're from. I don't know what background you're from. And most of us, especially during COVID, are so confused. Uh, Social distancing, hugging, high fives, elbows, I have no idea. But what this does tell me is this, is that this was a church. When you walk with God, you want to greet each other. Because if you have problems, if you have issues, you want to go the other way. You don't want to see certain people. But Paul says this. These are five important things. I want you to absolutely enjoy Jesus like I enjoy Jesus. I want your life to count. That's what I want. These are the areas that, well, might cause some conflict in churches. Would you deal with it? So that when you walk through the door, You can greet each other with a holy kiss. And he says, may God, and this is his prayer, it is. A little bit before he said, hey, if you want God to be with you, focus on these five things. In the very last line he said, you know what I want? I want you to enjoy Jesus. I want you to make a difference in your church, and in your world. Oh, that's my hope. So may God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit continue to be with you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Paul. I thank you for his love for the church. Lord, this was a harder church to love. But he loved them. He knew that as they walked with you, they would experience abundant life. He knew as they walked with you, there would be grace extended. Forgiveness would flow. There would be joy. There would be response to the word of God. There would be folks who would be drawn into the kingdom and your kingdom would come. We thank you, Father, for your word. And we thank you for the joy that you bring us in spite of our circumstances. We pray all these things in your son's amazing name. Amen. Let's stand.